Welcome along to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead, and as usual, I'm joined by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. Since our last podcast, Russian President Vladimir Putin has launched military action in Ukraine that deliberately targeted civilians and goes against all forms of decency and civil behaviour. In this podcast, we try to make sense of the events of recent weeks and ask, what does this mean for Ukraine, Russia and the balance of power in the world? Do stay with us. Well, Greg, I think we should begin this podcast by making a few things very clear indeed, because I think to a point anyway, listeners are going to hear two points of view on where things are heading. But I'll make some things very clear now. I am not a Putin apologist. I was condemning Putin in June 2003 when he was given a state visit to the UK. He was being driven around London on a horse-drawn carriage. He was given the full red carpet treatment by Blair and by the Queen, a banquet at Buckingham Palace and so on. Secondly, I also greatly admire those who have done their bit to help the innocent people suffering in Ukraine with practical help, charity fundraisers, sending packages out there, whatever it is they have done. And I greatly admire that. And I have done my bit in my own quiet way as well. The third thing I would say is that Putin's behavior in recent weeks goes against all forms of decency and civil behavior. He is something I thought he wasn't. And this is what to go back to where we were in our last podcast. I already knew he was a bully and a tyrant. And I made that clear in the last podcast. If he wasn't mad and reckless in the past, he certainly is now. And that did catch me by surprise. As things stand now, I am primarily interested in how we can get out of this conflict without it escalating. And to do that, a little bit of context, I think, is needed. And this is a conflict that has been going on in various forms for eight years, because we have what's been going on in the Donbass region, which is predominantly Russian speaking. And conflicts don't begin when Sky News cameras turn up, nor do they end when Sky News cameras leave. And the Maidan Revolution of 2014, the Russian language rights of people living in the Donbass region and the east of the country were signed away at gunpoint. 14,000 civilians are dead in Donbass. Petro Poroshenko, the president from 2014 to 2019 of Ukraine, that is, was a pro-European liberal conservative. Zelensky, the current president, is a pro-European centrist. His ideology is based on civil libertarianism. And Look, yes, I think I've made it clear already, Greg, that I condemn Putin and what he has done is absolutely abhorrent. What I am saying as well, though, is that Zelensky is no saint. And what has gone on from the Ukrainian side over eight years has been far from perfect. Look up Zelensky and the Pandora Papers and we can see their corruption. We can see offshore accounts. And this has been an eight year conflict. And my question now, Greg, is how will peace come about? Because as Zelensky himself has said, Ukraine will not be joining NATO anytime soon. It will be a neutral country, neither east nor west. I believe that when these talks take place, and it seems though we're edging towards them, although there has been some setbacks in recent days, it's highly likely that the peace settlement will acknowledge the autonomy of Donbass within Ukraine along the lines of the Minsk II agreement. Personally, um, I understand what you're saying. Much of it I disagree with. Um, which will probably come as no surprise to you or our listeners. Uh, firstly, where do we get the 14,000 civilians killed in the region? 
Where do we get that they are all Russian speaking when the Russians were literally trucking people in in quantities? And I don't, to be honest, believe a word that comes out of Ru Russia. I haven't all my life because they are professional propagandists. The fact that Putin was given um, the full treatment on a visit to uh, London, uh, you have to remember the Marxist leanings of the party in power at the time in Britain. And you also have to remember that Putin is effectively the Tsar of Russia. Uh, he has um, subsumed to himself the wealth of being a czar. Um, he is a, a multi-billionaire. Uh, he has, um, whilst the leaders in the Ukraine were fiddling with the petty cash, um, he's bought yachts that amount to the sum total of everything that the Ukraine could have stolen from the economy. And that's only a small amount. He has put in place a large number of cronies who he has bought by turning them into uh, billionaire oligarchs at the expense of the Russian people. He has laid absolute waste to large areas of Russia that don't really want to be under his heel. And he has now said, um, and I say he has said, uh, the people acting on his behalf have stated that they will um, stop the attacks on um, two cities in the Ukraine. I don't believe it for a moment. All he has done is pulled out of two cities he was getting a really bloody nose in to redeploy together with people brought in from Georgia military in the eastern region that he is trying to steal from the Ukraine. Right. Now, on that point, I think we need it to is focus... Yeah, I don't dispute that. What I do think we need to do, though, is put what the situation is in Donbass into some sort of context. And during the reconstruction of Donbass after the Second World War, large numbers of Russian workers arrived to repopulate the region, which altered the population balance quite substantially. In 1926, so some 20 years earlier, there were 639,000 ethnic Russians residing in Donbass. But by 1959, the ethnic Russian population was 2.55 million. This was further advanced by the 1958-59 Soviet educational reforms, which led to the near elimination of all Ukrainian language schooling in Donbass. And by the time of the Soviet census of 1989, 45% of the population of Donbass reported their ethnicity as Russian. And in 1990, the Interfront of the Donbass was founded as a movement against Ukrainian independence. So what we can see, particularly in, well, the second half of the 20th century, how the demography of Donbass changed quite substantially. We can argue about the right... Two things. Go on. Two very important things, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. One... I believe I'm right in saying it was, I'm doing this off the top of my head, it was either 1933 or 1936, Stalin 
mounted an attack on the Ukraine and um, deliberately organized a famine, a famine that killed 3.9 million Ukrainians and reduced the re Ukraine to such a level of starvation that they were selling human body parts in markets in the street, laid out on tables, and no one did anything to prevent it because the people were starving and these were dead people who might keep them alive. Mm. Then again, Stalin mounted an attack on the Ukraine and he used 750,000 troops against the Ukraine mm. and laid waste to it. And as I recall, that was 1944, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so there is no love lost between these two people. And to seek to, in any way, mitigate the actions under the instruction of Putin, let us forget trying to correct the history and Stalin's involvement. No civilized individual in this day and age absolutely levels great areas of civilian population where there is now in many cities in the Ukraine nowhere that's more than four bricks high. I'm sorry, I see no mitigation. Even if he had had an incredibly good case, which I don't believe he did, and even if he had had an understanding of strategy, which I don't believe he has, and even if he had excellent generals around him, which I'm certain he hasn't, and even if he had competent advisors, which he has proved he hasn't, under no circumstances is it ever acceptable to wage war on the civilian population. Well, in yes. the manner he has done in Ukraine. I see no mitigation for the behaviour of Russia whatsoever. I, th I believe at the end of this, if he is allowed to seize the eastern region, he will merely be back at some time in the fairly near future to take the next bit. Yes, I think I made it perfectly clear that I, I condemn in the strongest possible terms the killing of innocent civilians and the targeting of innocent civilians, the deliberate targeting. Where we go from here, though, is a much more complicated question, because this idea that this is a cartoon fight between good and evil, if you look at what's gone on in the last eight years, that is not accurate, because what has gone on for an eight-year period, this revolution of 2014, the Maidan Revolution, there were fascist elements in it, in the overthrow. You had the Azov Battalion, you had the right sector, These are and others as well. These are not elements who you would normally consider civilised by any standards that you and I would recognise. So in terms of where we go from here then, um, right, point one, pushing Putin out is goes without saying that has to be the priority number one. The real sadness about this whole situation, Greg, is that Ukraine could be a very wealthy, prosperous country. If you look at what it's got in terms of natural resources, if you look at where its ports are located, it could potentially be very prosperous. But to do that involves an element of compromise between the peoples who live there. And sometimes compromises are messy. But ultimately, 
for a long-term peace in Ukraine, that I think is going to be necessary. You're asking the Ukrainians to live on their knees rather than risk dying on their feet. I'm not I know asking anyone to live on their knees. I'm not asking anyone to live on their knees. That is what you are effectively asking, because compromise with Putin is not a viable possibility. That's not what I said. I didn't say compromise with Putin. I said a compromise among the different peoples living within Ukraine and respect for their ethnic rights and their language rights, as exists in many countries in this world, where you have many different peoples living together. And ultimately, to bring the end of the violence of the last eight years, that's going to be needed. Putin has no part in that. He has no part to play in that process. And that's got to be made abundantly clear. He blew his cards with his invasion and what he's done in recent weeks. But going the forward... Fact that nobody stood against him in the whole of Russia puts them in the beyond the pale as people to negotiate with. Yeah, we can't negotiate with Putin. That much is clear. It's a question... OK, look... Putin has, has badly sought, thought this through from beginning to end. It hasn't been well planned. He's been defeated on every angle. Um, I suspect very strongly that he is not being told the truth by the generals around, around him who are either psychophants or they're terrified of telling him the truth for their own personal safety. The Russian people are not being told the truth because they're being fed propaganda by their own media. The people on the front line are not being told the truth about why they're being sent to war and what the uh, purpose of all this really is. So, yeah, it's clear that Putin has surrounded himself with the sort of people who are not willing to tell him a few home truths. So Putin, look, I do wonder, pushing Putin's troops out is going to be relatively straightforward by comparison. The big question about this is, in terms of where Russia goes, can Russia even survive this? Because... There's no suggestion that we're going to be invading Russia ourselves or that NATO is going to be invading Russia. Is there going to be an overthrow of Putin at some point? And if that happens, will Russia itself fragment? As you've already alluded to, there are significant populations in parts of Russia that want nothing more to do with him and don't really associate with a Russian national state in its current form. I agree with you. And another thing that you'll have to think of is, as I um, hinted, but in our last podcast on the subject, I believe that Putin is not a well man. And we see today in the Telegraph, there is a report that he has been traveling around whenever leaving Moscow with an oncologist. It's my personal belief, and I have no provenance, that Putin very likely has prostate cancer. He's the right age. He's looking unwell. He's very puffy at times. And I believe he's being treated for it. He may well have areas of metastases of this. And he is an old man in a hurry, despite his years. Because in, yeah, in, in, in himself, he's not especially old by leadership standards. If you look at this, far older leaders in the world. But I agree. His appearance has changed significantly. And also body language experts are saying the way he speaks and his mannerisms are now not that of a mentally stable man. In the time we got left, Greg, and I'm afraid the clock is against us on this, but I think it's important. What really concerns me, one of the most important aspects of all, is the lack of leadership in the Western and in what we used to call the free world. I'm not sure how appropriate an expression that is now. I was reading something, um, or it may even been on one of the British news channels last week. Boris Johnson 
has warned the Chinese government of, against forming an alliance with Russia. Who on earth does Boris Johnson think he is? Because the reality is this, the British army, in terms of its size, would now fit comfortably into Wembley Stadium. Could the UK realistically retake the Falkland Islands today? No. And that is a reality if you look at the size of our Royal Navy. We can go beyond this. Look to the President of the United States, Joe Biden. He was a man who I remember not that many years ago being quite an articulate debater. He was a steady, if unspectacular, senator. He was a, a competent vice president, although there were ideological differences between himself and me. But he was, and there, there was a likable backstory to him. He's overcome a great deal of tragedy in his life, but he was a competent, warm, likable man. You look at Joe Biden now, he looks like a ghost. He can barely string a sentence together. At press conferences, he doesn't take questions because, well, there have been instances where even when he's been interviewed in standard one-on-one -on -one interviews, he's come up with some of the most peculiar statements. This is not the Joe Biden of even, well, certainly not 15 years ago, not 10 years ago, not even five years ago. This is a man in decline. And I do wonder, Greg, in Washington, where is the leadership really coming from? Because with all due respect to Joe Biden and what he achieved in the past, this is not the Joe Biden of old. This is a man with significant cognitive issues. I would agree with you there, but one cognitive issue he does not have is his many years of experience in Washington that means he knows how to delegate. And praise be, they don't have their previous president still in office because he was a one-man band surrounded by yes-men. Hmm. I would rather Biden as the leader because at least he knows how the Washington machine works to get the best out of the people of America, as opposed to rah-rah politics of Donald Trump. And one of the big problems of the modern era is that in both the Democrat and Republican parties, there is a lack of quality people coming forward to stand for senior office. You think Where that... is the government that has such people? Well, well, hang on, let's think back to 2015. And I well, the, the last but one presidential election when Trump was elected and you look at that and it was a fight between him and Hillary Clinton. And I was watching those debates and the way Trump behaved in that particular race in, in the televised debates. And I was thinking all the wonderful things America gives this world in music, in sport, in entertainment, in literature, in business. And yet this is the best you can do. And then we fast forward four years. Um, to the 2020 race. And it was Trump against Joe Biden, who already then was showing significant signs of decline. And I thought, again, is this really the best you can do? This is shocking in terms of, I mean, even now the Republicans are talking about running Trump again next time around. What's this all about, Greg? Is this, you know... It's about American politics. And I have um, here a very unfair advantage on you. Um, I can't name a single solitary individual of stature, apart from possibly Adelaide Stevenson, who has ever stood since the, the Second World War as a potential president of America. So you, you don't agree with me then? I mean, whatever differences I may have had with presidents past, and some of them I really didn't like in my lifetime, 
there's uh, well, even the ability to answer questions at a press conference, the ability to make the speech competently, the ability to give a reasonable one-on-one -on -one interview. I don't see that now with, this, with, the, with the sort of candidates we have these days. But Greg, that's another debate for another time. I am very concerned about the lack of leadership in the West, whether it's Boris Johnson in this country, Joe Biden in America. I don't see where the leadership is coming from. But Greg, the clock has beaten us. I don't know quite how far we've got in terms of finding where the peace, the lasting peace in Ukraine is going to come from. We can see that Putin is heading for a terrible defeat of his own making. I don't know where Ukraine goes from this, but it's been a fascinating discussion. To be fair, I think we've got about as far as Russia has mm. and as the ally, allies have. I, nobody has an answer at the moment. My thanks as always to Greg. My thanks to you for listening. Do join us again next time.